Dear family, I come to you speaking today with a heart full of gratitude, a twinge of sadness, to be honest with you, and also, more than anything, a sense of urgency. Urgency that is directly connected to hope, the best kind of urgency imaginable. Early this year, a brief presentation was shared with the congregation, prompting the beginning of a deliberate season of discernment. And as we began that process, a presentation was shared with the congregation in a business meeting in January that was an invitation into holy dialogue. We had planned on creating these listening groups, ideally diverse by design, that were to consist of folks from all generations, theological persuasions, longevity at the church, everything in between, a diverse group that all called Tabernacle home in some way. Now, it was my intention from the very beginning, as I stated in that presentation, that I had really hoped that my role would be to get the conversation started about discernment. The intent was to lead the church into the discernment season and I had intentionally hoped that in getting it started shortly thereafter it would be relinquished to a group of spiritual leaders that would surface through the beginnings of the season and then in turn they would be the ones that would take it and run with it and eventually create process. After that team Established trust was the, the plan. They would begin working together with a recommendation that they'd bring to you, their church family, and I would stand with you in receiving it. Long story short, my time was off by a mile. It was way off. Between the pandemic, fog, the scattering of the congregation from, for a period of now over 16 months, and so many other things, there was a, a vacuum of engagement. It's not that people weren't engaged. It's just we didn't have the diverse level of engagement that we had hoped we would have as we were just getting started. It doesn't mean that, um, that there's failure by any means as much as just a little sadness that we didn't start off the way we had hoped to. But again, it was really more a question of timing than anything, and that's okay. It really is. It's okay. While some of us, as I said a second ago, did engage deeply in the beginnings of the season of discernment, we found that in the interaction that folks were having with each other, God was stirring and some wonderful things were happening. At the same time, we found that there were voices that were missing that we knew really needed to be there so that we could really sense the fullness of that conversation and hear God more clearly in it. It's been a real challenge, has it not, to get our bearings. And speaking out of vulnerable uh, posture here with you all, it's been a real challenge to lead through a lot of it. I've struggled, and I know you have too. Last January, I promised you that I would get the conversation going in hopes that the Spirit would reveal and embolden a group of spiritual leaders that would emerge and begin their good work in guiding us together. Upon realizing that wasn't going to happen anytime soon, I, along with a handful of leaders, 
shifted from jumping straight into dialogue and, and discernment and instead moved us into a season of preparation for eventual discernment. While some of our big ideas around discernment remained, most of our plans to move forward, they were put on hold. Now, we did keep the initial plan to introduce an online journal. We asked each of you to share your insights into God's movement among us and your honest prayers. We asked you to share things um, that you found encouraging, but also things that were discouraging in the moment, and even some things that have been encouraging and discouraging in the past. We asked you to share not only honestly, but so much more importantly, vulnerably, and you did and I'm grateful for it. Over time, our communal journal deepened in thought. It just got richer and richer, and it came to resemble something that was very much a meaningful prayer journal, full of intention and love, and yes, constructive criticism, but constructive, hear that word, constructive criticism about the present reality of our church, and also constructive thoughts and criticism about the church in the not-so-distant past and quite distant past. Your honest sharing put words to what many were feeling. Some of the entries helped us lean into deeper questions related to our competing perceptions, our competing priorities, and very much the need for spiritual renewal. Other journal entries provided much-needed sustenance through the gift of encouragement to those that were leading in the beginnings and in the midsection and then in this section of the pandemic. We saw through this spiritual exercise a, a, a proclamation of who we are, a yearning for who we want to be. Those are really the two questions, are they not, that we are asking God. God, who are we? And what is it that you've put in our hearts that makes us yearn for who it is we want or even could be? We remain so grateful for the thoughts and wisdom that were shared through this level of engagement. Thank you. Now, in keeping with our promise to be transparent and honest, the journal has been 100% anonymous to anyone to explore at will, and that's still true today. We also, by the way, stuck with our initial plan in creating these listening groups. The majority of folks that participated in the listening groups were personally recruited by a couple of us staff members. Multiple listening gatherings took place, and I got to tell you, they were beautiful. They were vulnerable, they were honest, they were beautiful, and they were spiritual. They focused on the goal of really less about dialoguing with each other and so much more about practicing the art of, yes, vulnerable sharing, but also a different level of listening to each other. We were essentially building up our listening muscles. We focused on topics like opportunities and challenges that we face as disciples of Jesus. We focused on unacknowledged dynamics that ultimately shape culture and Christian community. I want you to hear this, please. As your pastor, I do not believe it will be possible for us to make plans for our future without first relearning to listen, first to God, and then listening to one another in ways that we haven't done so in quite some time. 
while listening gatherings were meeting and as more and, and more people were engaging in communal journaling, uh, whether you know it or not, I'll tell you now, there was this small little team of volunteer researchers that began to quietly pour through hundreds of pages of church reports that have been written by leaders from Tabernacle's past. Recent past, very distant past. The gathered information uh, will eventually offer insight related to our historic trends. Now, understand the team only gathered information. It would be up to you, the church, to interpret what we find and decide how to use that information in pursuit, again, of identity, who it is God is calling us to be. Whenever we find ourselves actually ready to engage on a greater scale, we can begin the spiritual exercise of remembrance and interpretation and action through the use of this group's good work. I'm really looking forward to that whenever it starts. Lastly, in the beginnings of the discernment season that, that we paused and decided to use it more as a season of preparation, we also leaned into sometimes begging and sometimes just gently asking this small little group of members of the church, but also dear, dear friends of the church, to create a series of podcasts under the heading of Going Deeper. These podcasts focused on critical topics that shape the culture of any and all faith communities, most of them pointing to blind spots that have been ignored way too often. We expected from the beginning that these podcasts would gather more engagement later in the discernment process, again, whenever the timing is right. So if some of you have heard these already, wonderful, but understand we knew from the get-go it would be listened to on a much larger scale whenever the time was right. I'm hoping this effort to vulnerably share thoughts and explore hard questions through the podcast will continue. There are more things that need to be put out there, and that in doing so, we're going to lessen some of the load of our yet-to-be-identified discernment team. Midwinter, knowing now that the vast majority of us weren't ready to engage deeply, a small group of staff and lay leaders planted all of these tiny little mustard seeds in the ground with the trust that God would, God would use them and that God would bring life up through the ground in any way that God would see fit. Church, if you've listened to anything that I've said from the pulpit over these last four months, it's pretty clear that I am more and more convinced that we really are starting over. I know that that message has been redundant, but over the course of these last four months in particular, it's what God has placed on my heart. And while I've certainly struggled with sadness and frustration, that won't surprise any of you, it, it doesn't mean that there's failure that's happened here. It just means it is what it is. We are where we are. And in God's timing, we'll figure it out together. I joined some of you in having stepped into a season of joy-filled, spirit-filled renewal and revival. There is something stirring in my heart that is new that God's been working at over these last three months in particular that just feels really, really good. We're asking very deliberately 
Who are we and who is it we believe God is calling us to be? And we are actively seeking out a deeper relationship with God so that we might actually find that we are receptive to whatever it is God's going to reveal in the asking of these questions. At this moment in time, I am excited by the sounds and, and the signs of rebirth around us. I'm also really anxious at times, even quite fearful. And through you having seen some of my tears in recent days and some of the harder goodbyes, there's been sadness. And it's not just because of the buys. There's some sadness knowing that as pastor, I, along with others, are being called right now to lead the church through a chapter that will inevitably feel like hospice care. This space we find ourselves in is not only a moment of confusion. It is a moment that places us with our feet in a space that is very much hospice room, but also, and hear this, just as much a delivery room where new birth is about to take place. This hospice room, this delivery room is sacred space. It is holy ground. And so, yes, what once was is no more. And while that may be hard to hear because it points to death, I want to remind you that God sees to it that nothing ever ends with death. 2,000 years ago, the world stared at the grave of Jesus with his very words still echoing at Calvary. It is finished. And after the lingering silence and the shock of it and in the holding of our breath, not knowing what to do next, we came to an understanding through the gift that is Christ's resurrection that God's version of it is finished is very different from our understanding of it is finished. It is radically different, and that is a gift. The paradox of the gospel is this. It is finished means Jesus is just getting started. The paradox of receiving and embracing a fulfilled life can only be discovered when we first choose death. Death of ego, death of assumptions, death of settling for the light version or the comfortable version of discipleship, death of biased, death of habits that inhibit our ability to thrive in the kingdom and help others thrive in the kingdom. Discernment begins with praying that God will reveal the things that we need within ourselves to die on a personal level and also on a communal level. Death to self, rebirth in Christ for the sake of the greater good, for the sake of covenant, for the sake of the kingdom. Discernment requires death so that God can yet again teach us that the word finished doesn't mean we've reached the end. It just means God is finished with the way we try to control outcomes and the way we place limits on how God will use our gifts in the flourishing of his kingdom. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling ready to let some things die. And I'm experiencing joy and surprising peace 
connected to that, connected to the gift that Christ is giving me through a willingness to let some things die within myself. And as crazy as it sounds, and it does sound crazy, it feels good because it feels like peace. It feels like shalom. It feels healthy, and it feels life-giving. As for our community, I'm feeling more and more ready to lead us as a communal body in seeking out a different path where service to God and the world feels less exhausting and more life-giving. I join you in being tired of seeing this church burn out our leaders one after the other. Never out of malice, of course, but rather because we don't seem to have this ability to shift our cultural practices and we really struggle moving into a place where we've got healthy accountability. Service in the life of the church should feel more like a natural response to the revival within our own hearts, like fruit that is naturally born on a well-nurtured tree, one with compost at its base, and whether we want to hear it or not, with well-pruned branches. When someone serves through the vessel of this church, they should look back over the period of service that they've just experienced and see it as a season of spiritual growth through the easy stuff and the hard stuff alike. The intentionality we invest in those that choose to profess and then testify through baptism should naturally bear fruit through continued spiritual nurture rather than a decades-old pattern of new believers quickly burning out and walking away to the social workers and the school teachers and the nonprofit leaders and the ministers and anyone else in service-related vocation. The many of you that call this place home, and there are many of you, I want you to know that I really believe in the depths of my being that your church should be a place where you are encouraged, yes, but also even expected to process aloud the changing understanding of your calling so that you can find yourself with the ability of keeping your eyes and feet right there firmly beside the very one that gave you call and now is waiting to help you actually sustain it for the long haul. Be honest. How many of us spend the majority of our time in service-related vocations, find ourselves weary and burned out, and if we're really honest, most of us would say that was true well before pandemic was even on the radar. Christ Church should be a place that better equips us to remain close to the one that not only sustains in the marathon of caregiving in the world, but also helps us experience our callings in the joy of the race of the marathon. Seems to me that my children and our children should see each of us as examples of people that use our God-given gifts to change the world, yes, but in turn understand that the motivation behind our sacrifice is a life-giving relationship with the creator of life. The church should be a place where the conversation is perpetual and the cultural norm, but here, that's not so much been the case for a long, long time. 
I believe that the vast majority of God's resources in the church should be outward focused, used to meet the needs of local and global neighbors. And I know you believe that too. It's the primary threads that bind scripture together, is it not? It's what it means to be covenant people. Let's be honest, it's been a really long time since we all came together and collectively asked God how the physical building at Grove and Meadow in Richmond, Virginia, and even the budget that we create year in and year out, and also the use of our greatest resource, our time, should be used in a way that more closely abides in our Great Commission. The very soil where life is about to emerge has been nurtured by once lived and thrived here before, but is no more. But hear this, the things that have died, the people that have died, they aren't finished, they aren't dead to us. Things that die are the very things that end up nurturing the soil that makes it possible for life to happen again, to emerge, for fruit to be born in the present moment. As Christian people, ultimately, we know it's how Eden is reborn. It's how the world is redeemed. It's the way God brings all of humanity back into the garden again. We're in a season of difficult goodbyes right now. And this season will persist for the foreseeable future. Some of those goodbyes have been and will continue to be with people that we love dearly, loved ones that have been called by God to serve elsewhere. Each departure has brought tears to my eyes and at times has frozen me in my tracks even though there was a live microphone and camera right in front of my face. Each departure feels like a death, does it not? And in some ways, those departures are, they're death. Not because these loved ones are leaving, now we would say you were dead to us. That's ridiculous, it's silly. But rather, we're acknowledging the way we once related to one another, it is, it's gone, it is no more. And that's okay. Because we know that in the death of the way we related together once, now there's space for something new to be born, a new way of connecting and partnering together in the kingdom of God. So we let go. We let the old connection die because we know that God is about to bring something new through it. If anything, we know Tabernacle Baptist Church is a church that is called to equip and send, which means a congregation that willingly chooses death over and over again because we know it's what will give us life over and over again. Other goodbyes that are going to need to be focused on point more to the relinquishment of dreams, some of them, many of them beloved. The death of preferences that we've clung to, the releasing, the death of an aged leadership structure that isn't suited for communal thriving or the mentoring of disciples, not by a long shot. It's hard to let old ways of being die, isn't it? If you think about it, the Gospels are full of stories of Jesus desperately trying to help the religious faithful see the necessity of this. Just remember, the punchline of the Gospels always points to resurrection. It always points to rebirth, to celebration, to an ever-expanding understanding of what life looks like when it's lived in abundance.
I mean, why in the world would any of us settle for water when he's offering us living water? Why in the world would we not join the party, the, the one that the Father is throwing for our little brother that was lost but now is found? Why in the world would we settle for a meal we packed ourselves when a feast of loaves and fishes is being offered to us alongside the masses of others that sit and walk beside us? There is a life-giving urgency to the message that is offered in the Gospels. Keep your wicks trimmed and burning. Drop your nets and follow. Join the banquet. The host can't wait for you to get there. And yes, pick up your cross, die to self, and follow. It is time for us to each do our own soul-searching and rediscover the presence of the sacred in our lives here in the present moment. To ask the question, who do we want to be? And avoid the temptation of getting stuck in the question, who did we used to be? And whenever the time is right, we're going to have to find a way to be present together in a unique moment of embracing death in anticipation that God is going to show us who we're growing to be, in anticipation of rebirth, resurrection, and new life. Church, I really hope you'll join us this next Sunday as the last two messages in this series are going to be shared. I'm asking for you to pray for your church in even more deliberate ways as we all need to be preparing our hearts for whatever the season ahead ends up being. And last but not least, I just want you to hear this. I love you. Your church loves you. Your Savior loves you. Welcome to God's hospice room. Welcome to God's delivery room. Welcome to Tabernacle Baptist Church. Welcome home again.